Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Comedian D.L. Hughley has a brand new book. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry as I read it over the weekend, but it's terrific. Surrender, white people, our unconditional terms for peace. This is D.L. Hey, D.L., thanks so much for coming back to the program. Hey, man, thank you for having me. Uh, that was started to be the original title of the book, but I said, nah, we better change. No, no, no. The, the book is fabulous, and the title was hysterical. But for, serious thing first, how are you? Because unfortunately, like everybody else, I saw that footage. I don't know where you were, Nashville, somewhere down south. I was in Nashville. I was in Nashville, and uh, I'm, I'm doing great. And uh, I've, I've since, uh, you know, if you saw the footage, you saw my security guy dropped me. So um, he's a great security guy, but a, a horrible shortstop. So uh, I'm doing uh, <laughs> He'll he'll never he'll never return kickoffs. But um, I, I uh, I'm doing great, man. I'm off quarantine. I'm I'm, I'm back at work, uh, and uh, my son is doing great. And, uh, 
most of uh, the radio staff is back to work and we'll be back up uh, and back at it. DL, you you unlocked one of the great mysteries of life for me in this very serious book, but I think you'll be surprised by what I consider to be that mystery. Concierge key. I fly, or maybe I should say I used to fly a lot, nothing like you, but I'm always standing there saying, who the hell are these people and what is concierge key? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know what it was, you know, for American Airlines, I never knew what it was, but... And it's so secretive. It's like some secrets. It's like skull and bones. I have no idea how you get in it. But um, um, but it's it's uh, it's one of the dope things about spending all your money in one place in America's. Uh, when when I did fly a lot, when anybody did fly a lot, it was one of those things. But you never know how you qualify. All of a sudden, you get this big uh big uh fancy envelope, and it says your concierge key. And every time you get to the airport, like they meet you there and pick you up and in uh, Cadillac trucks and take it. It's, it's, it's a dope thing. I just don't know how you do it. But there have been instances where you get on the plane first, concierge key, and you've got some white guy who's first class who says, hey, whoa, 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 where are you going? <laughs> right, right. Well, there are a lot of instances because, you know, and I talk about it in the book, but there was one time um, um, Derek, uh, me, uh, who's black, Derek, who's Mexican, and an Asian, um, a, a young lady who was Asian, who was the uh, concierge key representative who was letting everybody on the plane board down the plane early. So that's one of the things. And he started to go on and she, she said, don't know, they get to go on first. And it was, he had a blue blazer and a flag on his lapel. And, and for the first time I understood what white privilege was. I was like, I feel like a white dude right now. This dude <laughs> knows what it's like to be me. And I know what it's like to be him. But it was, uh, I talk about that in the book. It was one of the fun experiences that we had. So here we are. Nobody's winning. Everybody's losing. We're all angry. We've been at it so long that it feels like we'll always have racial conflict and like we'll never figure out how to live together in peace and harmony. Who's the intended audience for the book? I think anybody who has, uh, you know, an eye for irony, uh, history and likes to laugh. I think that ultimately I just wrote a book uh, that I thought was interesting and funny and I uh, hope that uh, Anybody who's inclined to say something interesting and funny might be it. But I, I just think uh, one of the things that is always the funniest to me, and I think, you know, that's, that's uh, proven to be true uh, primarily, is that people laugh at the things that are, are generally laugh at the things that they are most uncomfortable with and, and that uh, tend to be the most honest. And I think that you find more of that in ready abundance in, 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 in racial strife and situations where people just kind of don't want to see things that are just right there. The the book's got your signature humor, but it's also a, a very digestible history lesson. Are you a, a history buff? Does this come naturally uh, to you? I, no, no, no. If it came natural to me, I wouldn't have got kicked out of high school. But no, it didn't come natural. <laughs> but, but it was interesting because our history is so rife. I think that one of the things that that is, is true is that one of the reasons we have such a divergent perspective of America, because our history is, is, is derived from different places. Um, like, um, like if you take what's going on now, like people were rightfully appalled by what happened to George Floyd in, 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 in Minneapolis. Uh, and they wanted justice done. And Derek Chauvin is the officer who knee, had his knee on his neck. But those, some of those same people will fight for monuments to men who did far worse. Like, uh, you know, Derek Chauvin was a horrible man, but Andrew Jackson was too. And he gets statues and he gets, he's on our money. And I think people like, Everybody's talking about history and, you know, even when it comes to monuments, which are a perfect example of, of this dichotomy of America, um, when they talk about, you know, if, we're, if all lives uh, matter, 
then why does America have so many statues to men who are only famous for taking black lives? Like Nathan Bedford Forrest, who um, in 1998, his, the, I think one of the last statues commissioned in 1998, um, and, you know, it's, it's a 26-foot statue to a man who's only famous for killing 400 black soldiers at four, unarmed black soldiers at four pillows. So we can't say that we're proud of our heritage, and yet we want to move on as a country. We can't say that we're proud of who we are when that pride is steeped in so much blood and anguish. So I think uh, it's a perfect uh, situation where you have this dichotomy in America that we're always having to look at. Your solution is a statute of statue limitations. (laughs) Right, right. How would that work? Right, because... Because nobody really knows. I mean, because the last time America built a statue to a dude who didn't kill a lot of black people was Rocky, and he beat the hell out of Apollo Creed. So I, think, <laughs> I, I drive by that every week. Yes, we love we love Rocky's statue. The, the, the other the other analogy you say, I got I got to read this from the book. You say uh, it's like a tattoo. You don't get a tattoo for every girl you go out with. You might love somebody one day, but then things change. So we should rotate right. them. What every seven years. Right, right. To see, because some people just aren't that noteworthy. But, you know, at the time they were. Like, so that's why you, 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 I mean, we have erasers, we have tattoo removal place, we should have disposable statues too. Because, you know, somebody might be dope. At first. Look at all the people right now, um, the things that right now we wish we didn't have to say. Like, yeah, Columbus Day was a great day when we thought about it, but now fact and history and time has changed our opinion of it. Fourth of July is great, but, you know, we have a different perspective of it now. So I think we can't just write things. You don't want, like, it's like a tattoo. You don't want to get a tattoo of every single thing until you know how resonant it's going to be. There's a lot of personal history in this. You illustrate the points that you're making about race relations in the United States with talking about things that have happened to you. I'm going to read a paragraph from the book, okay, about you shopping for a house. When I was a brand when I was a brand new young dude, 24, 25, looking to buy a new house, the same thing happened to me in L.A. I specifically said I wanted to move out of the neighborhood, and yet they only showed me houses in Compton or in deep L.A. I must have looked at 10 houses that day, and none of them was four miles away from where I was currently living. Here's my favorite part. It was like, you take a left, then another left, then another left, and we're back where we started. I almost rebought my own house except my price was too high. Come on. That's... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I mean, if you look at the places that traditionally we live, we live where we have to. Um, there's never been, there's never been a, a, a neighborhood, like, you know, it, the, I talk about it in the book, uh, the, the neighborhood where Bill O'Reilly was from on the East Coast, which is the Levittown. Big, Levittown. There's never been that for black people. We've always got to move. the places we moved were places people got tired of and moved out when we moved in. So there, there's never been a place that we were invited to live in, except for maybe the penitentiary. And and so and so, and so there there has never been uh, this that we we've never gotten schools that were open for us. We just got the dreads of what you left before. So the point is, I, I think that we have to come to grips with the things that we have done um, and, and, and how that has played out. Like. Uh, when people talk about, I remember distinctly when this whole pandemic uh, uh, st- first started, um, Jerome Adams got on TV and told the black people over there, you know, that we drink, that we smoke, that we do drugs, and, and it's, the, the, it contributes to our dying um, in pre-existing conditions. But you look at the things environmentally, 
because of the environmental rollbacks, more black people will die um, than from those as a result of those and all the the dirt and the pollution that that kill us and, and systematically destroy us and, and the things that we can't access in our neighborhood like fresh foods and meat and die of all um, you know the the violence that we ascribe to each other so that more 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 black women will die of of of, of you know giving birth and one of the reasons for that is. One of the reasons that you see this disparity right now, even in the pandemic, is because there is a, a access, obviously we can't access, and there's this tendency to believe that black people are putting on. They're not as sick as they say. They don't need as much medical attention. Like, you you, you have a, a, a statue to a man in New York right now who is called the father of Monogalakaji. He did uh, experiments on black women without anesthesia because he believed that black women c- c- couldn't feel pain. And the right OBGYN. now that plays out right now. That yeah. where black people just are treated differently because men of science believe that we uh, physiologically don't feel as much pain. It, one of the great things about it is one of the reasons we get addicted to opiates. But, but, opiates, but it's still, uh, those things still play out. Those ideas of us still play out. And I think that to some degree we have to decide and we have to take a look at it and decide what we want to do about it. You made you made the argument in the book that the the lack of opioid addiction among blacks as compared to whites is actually a function of health insurance or a lack of health insurance, right? <laughs> it's, it's actually true. That's why you see like we we didn't that's why you you see one of the things that have, that has happened is that we don't have access to if you don't feel like somebody feels pain um, then you only just and, and and they don't have insurance. Then you don't have to prescribe them opiates. So it was one of the reasons that we, by and large, missed out on the on the opiate crisis. So I guess that's one reason. Race that's one way that racism helped us out. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel one twenty four, and on the SXM app. Hey, I, I promise I'm not going to give it all away for free because I, I want people to buy the book, Surrender White People by D.L. Hughley, Our Unconditional Terms for Peace. But there, there's also a story, thinking of real estate, where you have a house in L.A., and I think you were doing a renovation. For some reason, you needed an appraisal, and you got some interesting advice. What was it? Well, um, it, it, I, had, I had a brand-new home in West Hills, uh, and if you— the, the series of Hughley's was based on me moving to that area. So it was this brand new house. And my wife, of course, wanted to be upgrade. She wanted, you know, all the stuff, she wanted the, the kitchen and the tile and the pool. So, um, and then she wanted to move, of course. As we, right, right after as we you got it all. Yeah. And then she said, like, I want to move. So we were in the process of selling the house and we were going to get an appraisal. And the appraiser said, hey, uh, why don't you remove all your pictures? And I was like, it's such a nice house. You should take your pictures down, like your family pictures down. I'm like, what the hell is, what does that mean? And sure enough, when the appraiser came, um, he uh, appraised our house at $160,000 less than it was worth. And it was a, it was three years old. I had just done all these modern upgrades. And we called the bank, and the bank was appalled because it was, in order for it to have devalued like that, we had to have trashed the place. And they came out and they reappraised it and appraised for the comps in the area. And that man was fired. And when they asked him before he got fired, they asked him why he did it. He said, because I could. So he took $160,000 of real income. I mean, even the Brookings Institute uh, recently did an article, I think in the la- last year, where it talked about just because black people live in structures, um, they are devalued. Just because they, it could be the same structure with the same similar neighborhood, same uh, economic status, but when black people live in them, they're devalued. So 
you're taking real income from people, a chip in the game, just because of a bias. And and I think that uh, the the way that I've always dealt with that kind of information is to kind of make make uh, you know make it an ironic twist or a joke or humorous vantage point. But th- those things by themselves obviously are very sobering. But I've always known that the gig is to try to get people to to, to see, but also let them off the hook by laughing. One last aspect. It goes right to the crux of the book. But hold up, D.L. I wasn't alive in 1846. I wasn't even around in 1946. Why the hell do I have to pay you money for something I didn't do? Right. I understand that. And and, and here's the thing that's very interesting. And everyone has been paid reparations. Um, you know, slave owners will pay reparations. Matter of fact, right now, uh, up until 1945, Haiti was paying for its own freedom, which is why they paid for, like $45 billion um, to the French government, because, they, which is why they're one of the poorest places in the world right now. But in, 19, in the 1980s, under the Reagan administration, um, a, a, the, the Italians were paid uh, reparations. Uh, Japanese were paid reparations. Slave owners were paid reparations. Everybody has, we've had a, 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 a history of giving people, of making people whole, except for people who were the, the descendants of slaves. So it's not like we didn't, we haven't done it. We just haven't done it with the people who were most, uh, most affected by it. So, um, and we're talking about under the Reagan administration, they paid Italian immigrants uh, um, because they were lent a hundred years, a hundred years previous. So we still have the same amount of time. Uh, they, they paid them reparations for some of them getting lynched. And in <laughs> a, in a, in a um, uh, the black mayor of New Orleans actually apologized for it. So it's, it's, everybody's gotten apologies and everybody has gotten uh, reparations except the people who were most affected by it. Yeah, didn't start out that way. I mean, there was a plan. It no. was called off. Yeah, well, and, you know, and let's, let, let's be clear. The book is, you know, the, obviously the title is not about giving up power. It's about privilege. We all giving up privilege. We all, in certain aspects, believe we're entitled to things. But we, America, and this is not even debatable, has built a history and, and a system of people, of a group of people, of, of, of relying on privilege, manifesting that privilege. So in order for it to move on, and what happens when you're at this kind of, traditionally what has happened when we're at this kind of, uh, you know, impasse, you write a treaty. So that's what I did. So it'll be ratified at the Marlowe, at the uh, Magic Johnson Theater. Everybody read the book. Hey, I I, uh, I hope I get some street cred with you. My house is, you know, suburban white guy, but my house loaded with fabuloso. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Honest, I happen, I happen to love the way it smells. I can't. I really can't take it. I really can't. But that's why when, um, you know, Donald Trump was saying, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, disinfectants are effective on, on the, on the uh, uh, coronavirus, and maybe you should adjust them. Black people would have substituted that for fabuloso, I don't think. But there would have been the purple kind. So that's, <laughs> that's the purple kind's my favorite. It is the lavender. <laughs> hey, D.L., the book is really great. And I, I must say, as much as I laughed, you really, I spent the afternoon reading it this weekend, and it really made me think in a way that I think you intended. So congratulations on it. Thank you, man. Thank you. I, that's I very hope- nice. And, and ultimately, I just, I think that uh, it's, it, it's what, right now, um, we're at an impasse. We're deciding what we want to be. And I think that, you know, obviously to say that the nation is in peril for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think our decisions 
will decide whether we exist as a nation. And it's really, it's really that's it. Like you have right now, um, the, 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 I think when when you look at just at the structure of the pandemic, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And what we're what we're debating um, whether I'm going to believe the foremost scientists in the world or Chuck Willary, the dude who's famous for saying we'll be back in two and two, we have a problem. I could not believe those retweets. Good trivia. My old man, may he rest in peace, was once a contestant in the Chuck Woolery days on Wheel of Fortune. And DL, he was a returning champion. (laughs) He he solved baseball diamond when there were only four letters turned over on the board. And with that, my friend, I will wish you good things on your book. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. DL Hughley, Surrender White People. Our unconditional terms for peace. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Albert's, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.